caring understanding and offering support is probably the critical thing you need. And being honest, you know, he said, I don't know how this is going to play out. We don't have all the answers. We're working on them. We'll get them to you as soon as we can. I think that really helped rather than, you know, a kind of rah-rah, we need you, you're important, but without the other Welcome to this Alumni Matters mini-series. I'm Katia Gardner, and my guest for this mini-series is Patrick Dunn. In the second episode of this mini-series, Patrick and I will be speaking about people in COVID-19. Welcome, Patrick. Thank you. In the previous episode, we chatted about how board culture plays a role in the behaviours of a board. How does this affect leadership of the organisation, and what's its impact on staff? I think it's it's huge because obviously if the leadership is looking exhausted, super anxious, is a bit brittle, then that will transmit. If the leadership is sort of over-relaxed, complacent, doesn't seem to care, that is deeply worrying for, for, for people. So I think, again, it's a bit like the normal issue. You need to find that spot in the middle where you've got the, the drive, the energy, people can see you actually care about the situation, you care about them, uh, you deeply care about the, the, the business and you're getting on with it, but it's under control. The last thing you want to see as a team is your CEO sort of frenetic and, uh, and all the rest of it. You want them to be measured. I think the way that you speak to people through things like this when you are very time poor is really critical. That's a very difficult thing for CEOs, easier for chairs, I think, but more difficult for CEOs because they, they do have a hell of a lot to get through. They're dealing with other people's sort of stresses and strains as well. And they've got, you know, they are human, so they've got sort of family stuff going on as well. So I think that sort of personal way that you talk to people, way that you behave, the way you start and finish meetings, all of that sort of uh, thing absolutely matters. I was going to say, I guess that comes back to, you know, what you said earlier about, you know, it's about how you make people feel and they, they remember that rather than what you kind of said or did. Yeah, I think the other thing that matters a lot for leaders at the moment is is providing the right level of detail. So I think the government, uh, when it announced the, the um, COVID business interruption loan scheme and when it announced furloughing, uh, yeah, there was sort of, wow, that's, that's impressive. They didn't have the detail and, uh, and the business community got very frustrated very quickly and kicked back saying, you know, well, but how do we get these loans? How, how does the furloughing work? And there were a whole load of details that just weren't there. And they found that very frustrating. And I was talking with the CEO one day about this in a, in a venture-backed company. Uh, and he's given it, you know, full barrel on, you know, they just don't understand us and they don't understand what we need. And, not, and I was saying, okay, so let's sort of pause on that for a moment because you can't control that. But actually, if you take that thought, how are your staff feeling about the things that you've been saying about how you're going to get into discussions? Are you providing the sort of detail that they need? Um, and he, he sort of halted in his tracks and thought, oh, yeah, good point. I'm not sure I am. And it was quite interesting. So, and it's hard when you don't have all the detail, when, you know, some of these decisions have still to be taken and you don't know how this is going to play out. And in the first few weeks, that was very difficult for people. So I think 
in terms of dealing with the people. I think the other thing is around just the basic humanity. So the whole Zoom, Teams, Skype, whatever thing you're using, culture. Uh, you know, if, you, if you've got a young parent, male or female, and they're homeschooling, or they've got preschools in the house, and, you know, their own mother or father is, is, is ill with COVID, you need to cut them a hell of a lot of slack. And uh, I liked this expression that someone had, which was, you know, I'm not working from home. I'm at home and working. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and uh, I quite liked that. So I think, you know, whereas there'll be other people who, for their own personal circumstances, they're much more able to work, you know, 16-hour days and all the rest of it, although I know no one should do that, but, but you know what I mean. So I think the team actually understanding each other's own situations really, really helps, uh, is, is my feeling. And I think helping people deal with anxiety and deal with conflict. So fundamentally, if, if there's a conflict over something, you can compete, collaborate, accommodate, avoid or compromise. And you, know, you just need to choose which one you're going to do. And I think good leaders are good at that. You know, so if there's a competition for the same resource in the team, you, know, you have to encourage people to, uh, to collaborate, you know, choose the best, what is the best for the organisation rather than what is the best for that function or team. Yeah. And I mean, traditionally, boards have put customers and shareholders first. Um, and it's kind of obvious that, you know, that the employees are moving up the priority list in terms of the needs of the um, employees are rising up that list. So aside from keeping employees safe and following government directives, what can boards and executives do for their people for their employees I mean I'm kind of thinking I guess you know when there's perhaps negative press around reduced services and potentially a negative customer experience and employees thinking I'm doing the best I can yeah so I mean on the first point I, I don't think it's ever been about putting one group first because I think if you think of the thing in the round you're not actually going to keep your shareholders happy if you've got an unhappy workforce, a miserable supply chain and grumpy customers. So, and, and the local community hates you. So I've always thought actually it's, it's actually, there's no one group that's dominant and it's in the shareholders' long-term interests that you have those, those, those other things in place. But on the people, I think you kind of need to help them through it and you kind of need to guide them bit around, you know, what you would like them to do in these circumstances. So as one CEO I know, he one of the first things he did was to put out a Tannoy message at one of their call centres. Uh, and he said, look, you know, I, I think you're going to have a really, really hard time next week because, the, 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 you know, the volume of calls is going to rocket and people will be more stressed than they've ever been uh, about things. And we won't have all the answers to their questions. So, and but you are our front line. You are the people who have that will be having the customer interface through this. So, I just want to ask you to ask your managers, you know, for the things that you need training on or support on to help you get through this, because you will be, you know, the a, a key thing. Um, the effect of this is really significant because the people in the call thing, you know, they don't normally get a call from the CEO. Um, and the fact that he seems to care 
uh, and the fact that he seemed to understand and the fact that he was offering support. So I think caring, understanding and offering support is, is probably the, the critical thing you need to do to this. And being honest, you know, he said, I don't know how this is going to play out. We don't have all the answers. We're working on them. We'll get them to you as quickly as we can. I think that really helped rather than, you know, a kind of rah-rah, we need you, you're important, but without the other things. So I think you need, you need to do the whole thing. And picking up on some of the things we were talking about earlier in terms of kind of tough choices and that relationship and um, between kind of board members and executives and staff, it seems that's really important, that whole relationships, communication, just showing that you care while trying to, you know, like you said earlier, you can't please everyone all the time. Do you have any additional thoughts on that? I think the, the main thing is that to be straightforward about that, so say, you know, it's actually impossible to... Um, to please everyone all of the time. But this is how we're going to make our choices. So the principles we will have are the following. So I mentioned the EY Foundation before, and, you know, making, number one, everyone will be safe, I see. Number two, our young people come from us, uh, how you go through that. So people understand what, you know, they've got some sort of, all right, I might not like it, but I understand it. And the other thing is, it's basically, you know, everyone's going to have to share the pain here uh, of, of, of what's going on. So I think that that matters too. And so even though for most companies, it makes no difference financially if the CEO takes a 20% pay cut or something, it's not going to move the dial. But symbolically, it might. You know, that, that, that sort of thing, I actually, none of us are going to have any bonuses this year because of what's happening. And I'm going to take the 20%. Uh, I know that won't move to dial financially, but I just want you to know I share your pain. In yeah. And, you know, they will still get people saying, well, it's all right for him or her because they earn so much. It's not. But, but still in all, I think that, that carries. Um, carries some weight. Yeah. You know, in terms of, I guess, the people aspect, there needs to be a balance between oversight and support, which is obviously going to be, it's difficult to achieve in any time, never mind in time of crisis. How can people find that or how can executives and the board find that right balance and what should they be thinking about in order to find the right balance? So we're, we're on chair, we, we actually talked about it. So I think the, the first way to try and achieve the balance is talk about it. So to say... We need to get that balance right. The board needs to, um, because it, it will be responsible, uh, the board needs to to know that we're taking the right strategic decisions, the right big resource decisions, all of those things, the way that we treat our people through this. You know, I want to know that we're doing that well, that kind of thing. Um, equally, the management will want support on all sorts of things that they might not have asked the board for support on before. And this can swing both ways. So there's some management teams that have found themselves slightly overwhelmed and actually asking for more support. And it would be, uh, you know, typically a support from a board that in normal times people would think would be intrusive. But it isn't because the management are asked for it. 
So I think there's a sort of, there's an aspect of talking about what the right balance is. I think there's also an understanding that if it's uh, uh, very high on support, that is not sustainable over the long run because the board won't be as objective as it as it needs to be. So there's a sort of implicit understanding that this might change as you go through different phases of the of the crisis. Also, there's bilateral support. So um, you know, a non-exec buddy on something is very different to the whole board testing you on this particular thing. So, uh, you know, there's some people who've decided we're having a board meeting, you know, every three days. I think it's better, uh, you know, assuming you're not in an extreme circumstance. If you're going bust, you might need that. But if, if you're not in that extreme circumstance, it's better to have, you know, a, a little huddle around a topic or a, a buddy on a topic and provide the support that way rather than the whole board getting stuck in. Um, there's also something around temperament and, and and the genetics in that you know, there's some non-execs I know who, who are just loving this because uh, they're getting, you know, they're, they're particularly those who've been a high-change type CEO, you know, this is their world, they love this. And they, you know, they see this as a great opportunity to get stuck back into executive type things, which may or may not be that helpful to the management. And so the, the chair, I think, needs to have that sort of view over the thing and, and, and actually, you know, needs to give feedback, both to execs and non-execs, around actually, you know, the way you're using Bill or Jane is is great, but we're probably taking, you know, probably going a bit too far in that. Or, or Bill or Jane, you know, you probably need to sort of step back a little because, you know, they're suffocating the management <laughs> or, or, or whatever, whatever it might be. Um, and I think it's about trust and respect and relationships and what skills you have. You know, you might just have the right skills for the moment, um, or you might not. Do you think this crisis will help organisations find out who their best people are, who their next generations of stars is, and not just necessarily the next chair, but, you know, the next board members, the next generation coming through? And I guess equally, the reverse of that is, who you wouldn't want to be stuck in a crisis with. I think all of that is is absolutely true. I think uh, the other thing, though, is you find out in this situation who your best people are for a crisis. Yeah. They may not be the best person for, you know, a different type of situation. So you have to be careful about that. But you do. Uh, you find out who's got that good judgment, who's got that really good interpersonal skills, who's got that antennae that, that's sort of feeding... That their judgment, whether they're an executive or they're on on the board, you de- you definitely do. Who can work collaboratively under pressure and isn't overly competitive, you know, all of that kind of thing. You you learn. I mean, I you know, from my own career point of view, I think my um, the best promotions I got three I were usually uh, you know on the back of something going horribly wrong. <laughs> so, so I I I sort of. Um, I'd say I like a crisis situation because you're in a crisis situation because something isn't is good. But uh, I find that um, it's very fulfilling to to work through a crisis and get to the other side. So in a perverse way, I enjoy is the wrong word, but I found the financial crisis really fulfilling, and I learned so much uh, about 
you know, lots of things and lots of things about people. Um, and I think if you have that attitude as opposed to, oh, God, I can't wait for this to end and it'll all get better or go back to the old normal, which it never does, um, I think that's, that's a healthier mindset. Um, I guess people and chairs need to lead by example. Have you got any great examples of those kind of people um, you can share with the audience about people who have inspired the people around them, encouraged them to step up? You know, what have these people been doing that has left others in the shade? Well, I mean, I... I mentioned because I'm close to EY earlier and I think um, Steve Varley, the UK chairman and Hal Ball, the, uh, the managing partner, uh, who only became managing partner just as the crisis was, was breaking. Uh, I think the way that they have conducted themselves, communicated the decisions they've taken with their partners has been very, very impressive. Uh, it hasn't been shouty, noisy type of leadership. It's just been sure, kind of steady. Uh, this is what we need to do. This is how we're going to do it. And very reassuring uh, to uh, the people. Now, that might not work in another culture, yeah. um, but that's a big organisation. That's 18,000 people. And they, you know, they went into lockdown early um, before they needed to. And I think that's helped keep more of their people healthy. Um, they've supported them with technology and other things. So I, I, I was very impressed by, by that. Thanks so much for listening to the show. And thanks very much to Patrick for sharing his ideas, knowledge and insight. Don't forget, you can listen to the first and third episodes in this podcast mini-series with Patrick Dunn, in which we talk about boards and sustainability. You can also listen to our other Cranfield alumni podcasts by visiting www.cranfield.ac.uk forward slash alumni podcast. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and you can email us at alumni at cranfield.ac.uk. Send us a tweet at Cranfield alumni or use the hashtags Cranfield Alumni and Cranfield Alumni Connected to get in contact with us. I'm Kasia Gardner, and you've been listening to Alumni Matters.